Chapter Nine of Child Life in Colonial Days by Alice Morse Earle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Childish Precocity where babies much to their surprise were born astonishingly wise with every science on their lips and latin at their fingertips babs ballads w s gilbert eighteen seventy seven the seventeenth century was in europe a period of eager development and hasty harvesting english boys were made serious-minded by the conditions they saw around them as well as by a forcing house system of education begun at very early years this early aging is reflected in the writings of the times the religio medici apparently the composition of a man of the large experience and serene contemplation of extreme age was written by sir thomas brown when he was but thirty there are many records of the precocity of children preserved for us many times alas through the sad recounting of early deaths one of the most pathetic records of a father's blasted hopes may be found in the pages of the diary of john evelyn in december sixteen fifty eight died his little son richard five years and three days old he was a prodigy of wit and learning as beautiful as an angel and of rare mental endowment his father's account of his acquirements runs thus he had learned his catechism at two years and a half old he could perfectly read any of the English, Latin, French, or Gothic letters, pronouncing the first three languages exactly. He had, before the fifth year, or in that year, not only skill to read most written hands, but to decline all the nouns, conjugate the verbs regular, and most of the irregular learned out puerilis got by heart almost the entire vocabulary of latin and french primitives and words could make congruous syntax turn english into latin and vice versa construe and prove what he read and did the government and use of relative verbs substantives ellipses and many figures and tropes and made a considerable progress in comenius genua 
begun himself to write legibly and had a strong passion for greek the number of verses he could recite was prodigious and what he remembered of the parts of plays which he would also act and when seeing a platus in one's hand he asked what book it was and being told it was comedy and too difficult for him he wept for sorrow strange was his apt and ingenious application of fables and morals for he had read aesop he had a wonderful disposition to mathematics having by heart diverse propositions of euclid that were read to him in play and he would make lines and demonstrate them he had learned by heart diverse sentences in latin and greek which on occasion he would produce even to wonder he was all life all prettiness far from morose sullen or childish in anything he said or did End quote. of course this is not given as an ordinary education of an everyday child it is an extraordinary record of a very unusual child but it shows what an intelligent child could be permitted to do evelyn was a man of great good sense not the sort of man who would force a child indeed he averred that he abhorred precocity but in truth it was a time in england's history when such a child could easily be overstimulated when public events the course of history was so exciting that every child of keen wit must have felt the effects the crowding of young minds did not end with the seventeenth century a striking example of the desire to press education is found in the letters of lord chesterfield to his son beginning in seventeen thirty eight when the boy was not six years old the language and subjects would be deemed to-day suited only to mature minds in seventeen forty one the father wrote this is the last letter i shall write to you as a little boy for to-morrow you will attain your ninth year so that for the future i shall treat you as a youth you must now commence a different course of life a different course of studies no more levity childish toys and playthings must be thrown aside and your mind directed to serious objects what was not unbecoming to a child would be disgraceful to a youth etc letter after letter continued in this tone for years was the process carried on the result was a striking proof of the futility of such methods the son died when but little past his youth a failure in everything the father had most fondly desired and striven for the crowded brain ever stumbled and hesitated 
when put to any important test it was inevitable that new england parents with their fairly passionate intensity of zeal for the education of their children should in many cases overstimulate and force the infant minds in their charge it seems somewhat anomalous with the almost universal distrust and hindrance of female education that one of the most precocious flowers of puritanism should have been a girl the pious and ingenious mrs jane tyrrell who was born in boston in seventeen o eight before her second year was finished she could speak distinctly knew her letters and could relate many stories out of the scriptures to the satisfaction and pleasure of the most judicious governor dudley and other wise and polite new england gentlemen were among those entitled judicious who placed her on a table to show off her acquirements when she was three years old she could recite the greater part of the assembly's catechism many of the psalms many lines of poetry and read distinctly at the age of four she asked many astonishing questions about divine mysteries as her father was president of harvard college it may be inferred she had an extended reading course but in a catalogue of harvard college library printed a year or two later there is not a title in it of any of the works of addison or any of the poems of pope nothing of dryden steele young or prior in seventeen twenty two when jane tyrrell was twenty years old the works of shakespeare were first advertised for sale in boston in many families of extreme puritanical thought the children developed at an early age a comprehension of religious matters which would seem abnormal to-day but was natural then a striking instance of this youthful development as he was of highly sensitive thought of every description was jonathan edwards a letter of his written when he was twelve years old is certainly precocious in its depth though there is a certain hint of humor in it some one had stated the belief that the soul was material and remained in the body until after the resurrection young edwards wrote i am informed that you have advanced the notion that the soul is material and keeps with ye body till ye resurrection as i am a professed lover of novelty you must allow me to be much entertained by this discovery first i would know whether this material soul keeps within ye coffin and if so whether it might not be convenient to build a repository for it in order which i would know what shape it is 
of whether round triangular or four square or whether it is a number of long fine strings reaching from ye head to ye foot and whether it does not live a very discontented life i am afraid when ye coffin gives way ye earth will fall in and crush it but if it should choose to live above ground and hover above ye grave how big it is whether it covers all ye body or is assigned to ye head or breast what it does when another body is laid upon it souls are not so big but that ten or a dozen of them may be about one body whether ye will not quarrel for ye highest place his paper on spiders written when he was but twelve has become famous as a bit of childish composition it shows great habits of observance care in note-taking and logical reasoning and bears no evidence of youth either in matter or manner a typical example of the spirit of the times in regard to juvenile education is found in the letters of mrs pickney she writes to a friend shall i give you the trouble my dear madam to buy my son a new toy a description of which i enclose to teach him according to mr locke's method which i have carefully studied to play himself into learning mr pickney his father himself has been contriving a set of toys to teach him his letters by the time he can speak you perceive we begin betimes for he is not yet four months old this toy may have been what is known to-day as a set of alphabet blocks a commonplace toy locke speaks of a game of dice with letters with which children could play a game like royal oak and through which they would learn to spell he was not the inventor of these letter dice as is generally asserted it was a stratagem of sir hugh platt fully explained and illustrated in his jewel house of art and nature printed in london in sixteen fifty three a portion of a page of which is shown here the toy seems to have been a success for the following year mrs pickney writes to her sister quote, your little nephew not yet two and twenty months old prattles very intelligibly he gives his duty to you and thanks you for toys and desires me to tell his aunt polly that if she don't take care and a great deal of pains in her learning he will soon be the best scholar for he can tell his letters in any book without hesitation and begins to spell before he is two years old this precocious infant afterward general charles coatsworth pickney of revolutionary fame declared in his later life that this early teaching was sad stuff 
and that the haste to make him a very clever fellow nearly made him a very stupid one little martha lawrence born in charleston south carolina in seventeen fifty nine could in her third year read any book like many another child since her day learned to read holding the book upside down joseph t buckingham declared that when he was four years old he knew by heart nearly all the reading lessons in the primer and much of the westminster catechism boys entered the boston latin school when as young as six years and a half old they began to study latin frequently when much younger zealous and injudicious parents sometimes taught infants but three years old to read latin words as soon as they could english ones it redounds to the credit of the scholarship of one of my kinsmen rather than to his good sense or good temper albeit he was a minister of the gospel that each morning while he shaved his little son five years of age stood by his dressing-table on a footstool and read latin to his father who had also a copy of the same book open before him that he might note and correct the child's errors and the child when grown to old age told his children and grandchildren that his father angered at what he deemed slowness of progress frequent errors of pronunciation and poor attempts at translation would throw the book at the child and once felt him from the footstool to the floor it is told of timothy dwight president of yale college that he learned the alphabet at a single lesson and could read the bible before he was four years old and taught it to his comrades at the age of six he was sent to the grammar school and importuned his father to let him study latin being denied he studied through the latin grammar twice without a teacher borrowing a book of an older boy he would have been prepared for college when but eight years old had not the grammar school luckily discontinued and left him without a teacher the curriculum at harvard in olden times bore little resemblance to that of to-day sciences were unknown and the requirements in mathematics were meagre still a boy needed even then to be clever to know enough greek and latin to enter at eleven paul dudley did so in sixteen eighty six his father wrote to the president a quaint letter of introduction quote, i have humbly to offer you a little sober and well-disposed son who though very young if he may have the favor of admittance i hope his learning may be tolerable and for him I will promise that by your care and my care, his own industry and the blessing of God, his mother the university shall not be ashamed to allow him the place of a son, appoint a time when he may be examined. Close quote. There were still younger college students, 
1799 there was graduated from rhode island college now brown university a boy named john pitman who was barely fourteen there is no evidence that early marriages that is marriages of children and very young lads and girls which were far from rare in england during the first years of our colonial life ever were permitted in the new world nor were they as common at that date in england as during the previous century for there had been severe legislation against them especially against the youthful marriages of poor folk many have known of the juvenile weddings of english princes and princesses and marriages by proxy for reasons of state but few know of these unions being general among english people an interesting and authoritative book on this subject was published in eighteen ninety seven by the early english text society dr furnival made a careful study of the old court records of the town of chester england and published this account of trials and law cases concerning child marriages divorces ratification troth plights affiliations clandestine marriages and other kindred matters it is as the editor says a most light-giving volume it ranges over all classes from people of wealth the manor owners and squires to alehouse keepers farmers cobblers maids and men it tells of the marriages of little children in their nurses arms some but two or three years old so young that their baby tongues could not speak the words of matrimony various arrangements chiefly relating to lands and maintenance led to these marriages also a desire to evade the crown's guardianship of orphans in one case a big damsel of twelve enticed with two apples a younger boy to marry her Quote, the woman tempted me and i did eat unquote. one little bridegroom of three was held up in the arms of an english clergyman who coaxed him to repeat the words of the service before it was finished the child said he would learn no more of his lesson that day the parson answered you must speak a little more and then go play yawn the child marriage of the earl and countess of essex in 1606 resulting in the poisoning of sir thomas overbury and the countess's marriage to the earl of somerset is a well-known historical example of the unhappy result of such marriages the earl of anglesey's grandson was married in 1673 when he was eight years old mary hewitt of danton bassett was wedded in sixteen sixty nine when three years old in sixteen seventy two john evelyn was present at the marriage of lord arlington's only daughter a sweet child if there ever was any aged five to the duke of grafton i have given the dates of these later child marriages to show that they were not unusual in england long after america was settled 
as late as seventeen twenty nine a little english girl of some wealth and but nine years old was taken from her boarding-school by her guardian and married to his son very differently did the upright new englander regard the duties of guardianship a little girl named rebecca cooper was left an orphan in early colonial days at salem massachusetts she was quote, a very good match unquote, an inheritress and the sharp eyes of emmanuel downing and his wife were upon her to quote, make a motion of marriage unquote, for their son both wrote to governor winthrop madam downing's brother to gain his intercession in the matter though the maid had not been spoken to madam wrote quote, the disposition of the maid and her education with mrs endicott are hopeful her person tolerable the estate very convenient and that is the state of the business governor endicott was the guardian and his answering letter to winthrop has a manly and honourable ring which might well have sounded in the ears of all english guardians quote, i am told you are solicited in a business concerning the girl which was put to my ward and trust i have not been made acquainted with it but you know whom, which, if there had been any such intendment, I think had been but reason. But to let that pass, I pray you advise not to stir in it, for it will not be affected, for reasons I shall show you. The Lord knows I have always resolved, and so hath my wife, ever since the girl came to us, to yield her up to be disposed by yourself to any of yours, if ever the Lord should make her fit and worthy. Now, for the other for whom you write, I confess I cannot freely yield thereunto for the present for these grounds first the girl desires not to marry as yet secondly she confesseth which is the truth herself to be altogether yet unfit for such a condition she being a very girl and about fifteen years of age thirdly where the man was moved to her she said she could not like him fourthly you know it would be of ill report that a girl because she hath some estate should be disposed of so young especially not having any parents to choose for her fifthly i have some good hopes of the child's coming on to the best of things and on the other side i fear i will say no more other things i shall tell you when we meet if this will not satisfy some let the court take her from me and place with any other to dispose of her i shall be content which i hear was plotted to accomplish this end but i will further inquire about it and you shall know if it be true for i know there are many passages about this business 
which when you hear of you will not like unquote. it is pleasant to record that all this matchmaking and machination came to naught it would not have been strange if governor winthrop had deemed this girl old enough to be married he had been but seventeen years old himself when he was married but he was as he writes a man in stature and understanding he evidently was of the opinion that a child of fourteen or fifteen was of mature years when his son john was not but fourteen the governor made a will making the boy the executor of it these child marriages were not abolished in america because maturity or majority was established at a greater age for up to the revolution boys reached man's estate at sixteen years of age became taxpayers and served in the militia early unions were controlled by restrictive laws such as the one enacted in massachusetts in sixteen forty six that no female orphan during her minority should be given in marriage by any one except with the approbation of the majority of the selectmen of the town in which she resided another privilege of the girl orphan was that at fourteen she could choose her own guardian thus were children protected in the new world and their rights conserved End of chapter nine